Welcome to the Canucks Corner Podcast with me, Aaron Lane. Yes, it is Season 2, Episode 1. We are starting off a brand new season of Canucks Hockey, the 2017-2018 season. And man, am I excited. We get to go ahead and have a full season. You got a bit of a taste of Canucks Corner for about half a season there. But now we get to start at the very beginning and run our way through the entire season. And that's going to be cool. We're going to have a lot of opportunity to take a look at this Canucks team as it develops. So for this special episode, because we haven't taken a look at any Canucks games so far, it's just a look at what the Canucks did in the offseason since we've last potted, and a look at where the Canucks stand, and then ultimately where the Canucks are going. So we will take a look at the free agent signings. We will take a look about the rebuilding process. We will take a look at the preseason games, including the China games. We will look at the possible starting lineup for the Vancouver Canucks, at least those who are the 23 players dressed for the first game. And we'll take a look at those first week's games, and I'll make my predictions for those games. I would like to do that first first game, but we'll see how it goes. I'll tell you more when we get to the post-game show. Well, that'll be about it, so let's get started. The pre-game show. This is the part of the podcast in which I go ahead and tell you about, well, in this case, the free agent signings and the rebuilding process. All right, well, let's take us back to, what, June, July, July 1st? Now, the Canucks didn't really have a lot of signings they had to make. They kind of just had to maybe fill a position or two and get ready for their rebuild. And, you know, should they should they be able to pick up a young free agent that may fit into the team for the next few years that they could get for a reasonable amount of cash? Or if they could pick up a big player that they could move at the trade deadline to get a draft pick or two, that's what they were looking for. So what did Jim Benning end up picking up? Well, let's just say Jimmy Boy went ahead and filled his basket. He got himself Sam Gagne. This uh, this uh, Gagne fellow cost him th- about $3.1 million per year for three years. He also picked up Michael Delzato, defenseman, for $3 million for two years. Anders Nielsen, goaltender, $2.5 million over two years. Alex Bermistroff, $900,000 for the year. Patrick Weircock, $650,000 for the year. And they also managed to re-sign Anton Rodin, their own little fella who didn't quite get away. So there we go. We got a total of six free agent signings on a day where we were only expecting one or two and maybe nothing noteworthy. So... What's happening, Jim? What are we doing here? Sam Gagne was a reasonable choice, I suppose, because with Henrik stepping away and Bo Horvat stepping up, you probably could use that number two centerman to step in behind Bo, especially as Henrik goes ahead and leaves the team. So having Gagne sign for three years will cover that period. Or if Gagne has a really nice year, then yeah, maybe he's worth a second round draft pick or something. So that was fine. If they had stopped there, everything would have been hunky and dory. But then they picked up Michael Delzato. Okay, if they were going to trade Chris Tanev or something like that, then Delzato fitting in perhaps for a couple of years. Well, maybe he's another guy that you could move at the trade deadline after showing a, a good deal of value throughout the year. Okay, so you've got your your two guys and a forward and a defenseman, and they can either fit in or they can be traded yeah, okay, so we're, we're good. Oh, Anders Nielsen. Oh, right, okay. Um, all right. 
So maybe Demko isn't quite ready to be back up. Maybe you want him still in Utica, honing his craft and holding down the fort at Utica. All right, Anders Nelson in behind Markstrom. Burmistrov. Okay, he's a Russian with a lot of potential, a previous first-round draft pick. I think he was like 8th in 2010 or something like that. Yeah, all right, I guess. A young player with a young player with some potential that just hasn't been able to show his potential yet in other places. Okay, seems like a lot. And then Patrick Weircock and Anton Rodin. <sighs> well, that's that's a lot of depth. That's a lot of depth. And you see, the problem with this is these aren't players that are coming with two-way contracts. These are players that are going to have to have roster spots, even if they're going to get moved. So, hmm, what does that mean for the rebuilding process? Well, most people jumped on it right away. And I looked at that, and it concerned me. And the more things shifted throughout the offseason and eventually cruised into the preseason games, it became more and more clear that Benning and company weren't really interested in a full rebuild like we thought they might be. That their hesitation to even say the term rebuild was a real hesitation in them. Because clearly that's not what they want. They want to have their cake and they want to eat it too. They want to be able to have a team that's good enough to ply their trade for, you know, and, and, and struggle and maybe get that last playoff spot in the West if they're lucky, if things really work out. And then to fill the building and get playoff money and to make people still feel like there's a competitive team on the ice trying for the Stanley Cup. And I'm sorry, Jim. And I'm sorry, Trevor. And I'm sorry, gang. I just, if that's the way you want to go, we've seen teams try this. Team after team after team who tries the soft reboot, who tries the soft rebuild. It is purgatory hell. I'm sorry for my language, but the truth is, is that you run through years of mediocre play that barely makes... It's not exciting. It's not hopeful. It is painful because you know that as hard as they try, the best that they can hope for is to get knocked out in the first round by a team with way more depth and way more talent. And that is just ugly. It's a really nasty situation to be in because then you're not getting good draft picks. I mean, even in this draft season, we're going to throw away this last draft where all these middling teams got good picks, right? Most of the time, if you end up 8th to 13th or whatever, you're going to get a middle in first round pick that may or may not make your team ever much less next season to, to really contribute. That the Canucks have had tons of those picks that are not top five picks that are just okay. Let's see how this goes. And they haven't gone well. And the teams, they, they, these, these are not players that are anchors to championship teams. This is not the way to rebuild if you want to win the cup. If you want to win the cup, you take the hit. You take the three or five years of pretty crappy hockey to develop the players that need to be developed at the NHL level. And then when they're ready to go, your Toronto Maple Leafs or your Edmonton Oilers right now, then you start fitting in the pieces around those around that young core. And then you start making the push forward, but not before. I mean, the last team, and I've mentioned it before, that I remember trying this was the Calgary Flames. They hung on to Kiprasov, and they hung on to Conroy, and they hung on to Ginla until they those players had no value. And they tried to make the Stanley Cup, and they tried to... And it was just 
horrible. Year after year, it became a joke. You go up against Calgary and go, ooh, wonder how Ginla's going to do tonight, whether or not we can shut him down. Because if we can, Calgary's not going to score. That was, a, you know, get a couple pass kippers off, it's game over. It's just, you got to be able to say to the business partners, you got to be able to say to the people that are funding your team, look, man, this is the way hockey works. I'm an expert in this field, and here's the deal. You know, he's an expert, he's an expert. All these experts say the same thing. If you're going to succeed big time and make the big bucks in hockey, you got to have some slim years to set your team up. I mean, how do you think the Toronto businessmen are feeling right now and the people that are going to make money off of the Oilers? They're feeling pretty good right now because those teams are in that right position where they've got the core of young players and now they're adding players to that core. And now they're going to be a threat. And I really hate to say Toronto is, but that's what it's looking looking like right now. Okay? They're at the beginning of it. But nevertheless, they're, they're in a good position. So, yeah. You're going to have one or two guys make the team that are rookies. Or that are young 19-year-old guys or whatever. And they're going to try their best to do their best. How is that different from any other team in the NHL right now? Every team in the NHL is going to try a couple of guys that are their young, up-and-coming guys. That isn't a rebuild. That's business as usual, and it's not enough. It's not enough for a team like Vancouver. And so I'm disappointed, and I don't... Unless they have, they've fooled us all, and they're really going full rebuild, and these other guys, Gagne and Delzado and that, they're going to be out the door as quickly as they can, as soon as they can get someone who will give them a draft pick or a good young player for them. And then those spots can go to the guys, the young guys that should be on the Canucks right now to get the experience to make the team and to see what they can do. But until then, I'm sorry, it looks pretty bleak as far as the the rebuild goes. So I guess we take a look at the nitty gritty, see how things have gone now that that's the direction and where things are going to go from here, how the team is set up currently and who who are the golden children, who are the the couple that are going to, the couple young guys that are going to get the chance. Let's take a look at that next. Game time. This is the part of the podcast where I get to tell you all about, well, instead of a specific game, I get to tell you all about the entire preseason. And we get a feel for how the Canucks are set up moving forward. It is Tuesday, October 3rd, and we're looking at a start of the season coming up on the weekend. So I wanted to get this out before the season started. So let's have a look. We start on Saturday, September 16th. Vancouver against Los Angeles. This is the first game in the game when all the Canucks were playing at the same time, both the top guys and the bottom guys, as it were. Vancouver won this game 4-3, to and the best player on the ice was Jake Vertanen. So he started off really well. Even Travis Green said that was the best he's probably seen Vertanen play, which was a really good sign. Then the split squad happened, and the big boys went off to China to enjoy their China games in Shanghai and Beijing. Meanwhile, the other part of the split squad went ahead and stayed home to play in Las Vegas's first game. In Vancouver, the Las Vegas Golden Knights came by and kicked our butts 9-4. to Well, given the guys that were on the ice, that's not too surprising. It was basically Las Vegas Golden Knights versus the Utica Comets. And the Canucks looked pretty good at times. There was some good play from, for example, Brock Besser. He looked really good. He had looked pretty good in the previous game too. And he got off 
I believe it was this game he got off a wrist shot goal that was just absolutely spectacular between a defenseman's leg and up in the top corner and that was like wow that blew everybody away and basically the young guys started sorting themselves out Goldobin I think had a goal here and a number of good plays he looked pretty good Yalevi he looked like he had a fair bit of command of what was going on on the back end there. I think this may have been the game where Subin actually scored, or it was the next game, but he uh, he has his moment to shine there as well. And we just see, we see some decent play. Even Demko has some very nice saves, even though he ends up letting in quite a few goals. And things look, for a 9-4 game, the Canucks kind of looked as good as they could have. And some of the younger guys got really good looks. Uh, Wednesday, September 20th, we have Vancouver against Calgary, and it was a Calgary team with a lot of their normal players in, and again, it was our split squad team, and we won 5-3. We managed to come back, and and maybe this was the one where Subban scored, and Coldoman had another another decent game here, I think. You started seeing the same names come up for Tannen, Stills playing really well, and Besser, and it's and, and you're starting to notice there's a core there. There's a core of these young players that are talented significantly above the rest. But you also saw a couple of other guys. You saw Archibald come up and do pretty well, and Chatfield, a defenseman that the Canucks have now, he held his own quite well it seemed so you had your core of young talented players that you know have talent and then you had a couple of these extra guys who just started kicking in a goal here or two or a good player a good hit so yeah that came together all right now we go to china as the big guys the big squad all the best canuck players and the sedines and markstrom and they go on and take on the los angeles kings who they had beat with the younger players involved in the first game. They lose 5-2 to two in the first game. But that's but that's okay. The, the jet lag and whatever and excuses this. And, yeah, Sedin's first game really focusing on their time and, and, and that they've they've been the focus of the game. And, uh, and they didn't look good. They looked slow. And everybody kind of looked a little bit off. And LA just took full advantage. They looked like the much better team. Back at home on Friday, September 22nd, the split squad uh, juniors took on the Edmonton Oilers, and Edmonton did to us what we expected Edmonton to do, and they took control of the, the, the game, and they beat us 5-3. to three. Again, not a total loss. We still had a number of the Canuck players doing pretty well in that game, but in the end, it was clear who had the better team and literally they did have the better team they had better better players on on paper as well as you know on ice so no Edmonton should have won that and they did so that's fine again that actually you know what that's an example of the type of game I expect for a rebuilding team where the young players come out they get their job done where they improve here they struggle there they have good and they have bad and in the end they probably lose the game but they have growth. They learn a few things in that game against a significantly better team, more talented team, more experienced team. And that's th- those are the types of games that some guys will say, oh, that's boring, or oh, that's terrible because we lost. But you can't look at it that way in a rebuild. If you're really going to go rebuild, those are the types of games that you're going to see a lot of. And you better be able to pick the right things out of those games to appreciate. Otherwise, you're going to be sad a lot. <laughs> you're going to be upset a lot to see your your team lose again and again and again and if you think winning is the only thing that's going to make you happy well then you're in a in for a rough patch you got to really know that developing these players is the key 
and even though they're losing, they better still be developing. And I think we saw some of that in that Edmonton game on the 22nd. Next night, the second game in China goes down to a shootout, and the LA Kings beat us again. So our big boys went 0 for 2, but get a, a point, as it were, from the from the overtime loss the shootout loss. So, you know, not the best trip to China, but hey, at least Gabranson got a nice red jacket out of the deal. If you've seen that, it's it's kind of amusing. It's, it's a, you know, standard traditional type Chinese jacket and and Goober looks 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 so good in it. He's uh he's a he's a good looking chap. Anyway, they all got their picture on the Great Wall, you know, holding the Chinese flag and the whole thing. And anyway, there was plenty of Chinese things that these guys managed to to do and enjoy. And so maybe it wasn't all about winning or losing the games. Maybe it was a bit about bonding and and kind of having one of those experiences that you wouldn't ever have otherwise. And of course for the NHL, it's always nice to get your mitts into that big Chinese money that's sitting there just waiting for billions of fans to chuck at a sport. So yeah, that's uh, that's nice too. Anyway, back at home. Canucks play Calgary again on the 28th of September. Pull off a 3-1 victory. Okay, alright. Looks like Calgary doesn't quite Calgary doesn't quite have their game together. And that's, that, that's interesting. And the Canucks were again quite solid. Besser didn't necessarily have a great game here. Vertanen again looks like he steps up a little bit more. And against these teams that are that are fielding pretty much their regular lineup now, you see that shift. Vertanen is used to it. He's ready for it. He's seen these teams before. He's seen these types of players, this level of play before. Besser's seen it a little bit, but he's still far more used to that lower level of play. And he took advantage of that early in the preseason when he was playing against players who weren't who were basically his level. So as he excelled against those players before, he excelled against them again. But now that he's playing up a level against these regular NHL players, you can see him being pushed out of the play a little bit more often. Harder for him to even get shots on net. And again, we see that same thing happen in the last game against the Oilers on September 30th. Canucks again pull out a victory. 3-2. to two. Although you really get the feeling that McDavid, he kind of let off the gas. You could tell right away that if the, if the Oilers really wanted this game, they could have had it. That they themselves started saying, okay, this is the last preseason game. We're going into the regular season where it matters. We're just going to go in easy. Just like kind of teams go in before the playoffs. They don't want to injure themselves. They don't want to hurt themselves, you know, push themselves too far. Let's just have an easy run into the regular season and not screw anything up. And I think that's where the Canucks got that victory from, mostly. But hey, full credit, when you have an opportunity, when your opponent lets off the gas, that's the time to to step on it yourself, right? And the, the Canucks did. So, hey, look, full credit for that. So that was the preseason. And on paper, points-wise, as it were, the Canucks actually looked pretty good. They didn't look like a 27th or 28th place team. They looked like a solid lower middle team. Maybe maybe even, maybe even you know, top 15, top, I don't know, 12 in there maybe. They looked like a solid sort of team numbers-wise. But like I said, when you go through the games individually, they were either games that the other team gave up or they were teams that the that were trying a little bit younger guys themselves or whatever or weren't really pushing too hard to win the games per se the Canucks just took advantage where they could and got the wins where they could now like I said nothing wrong with that you you want to do that in the regular season because two points is two points 
whether you play perfectly and you crush the other team or whether the other team just lets you beat them either way two points is two points so can't say nothing about that what i can say though is that again vertanen stepped it up near the end besser kind of let it let it go at the end got a little bit pushed pushed around a bit at the end so i think jake actually had the better preseason not to take anything away from besser love to see that kid get success and now let's see him in the nhl and see what he can do so speaking of that let's take a look at the starting lineup that has just come out for the vancouver canucks on left wing we're looking at daniel sedin sven barchi louis erickson sam gagne at center henrik sedin bo horvat alex bermisteroff and brandon sutter on the right wing got michael granland brock besser thomas vanek jake Fritanen, and Derek dorsett i hope i said the right granland there but we'll go with that so interesting i didn't mention anything about vanek in the preseason there's a good reason for that vanek was almost almost completely non-issue in the preseason which is kind of painful we're kind of hoping that we're kind of hoping that vanek actually goes ahead and steps up and gets get some action in when did we get vanek I also didn't mention Vanek in the free agent signings because he was actually signed really late. But he was a free agent signing, so this is part of the deal. If we didn't think that they were already not rebuilding like we hoped they would from the initial signings, by the time they picked up Vanek, you knew that that the rebuild was either delayed or just a just a soft rebuild. Now Vanek, one year, two million. Okay, maybe he's your consummate rental player, but he's only a rental player if he proves to be a good player. If you put him in the lineup enough for him to do the job, and I think he knows he's a rental player. I think he knows that that's what he's doing here because his preseason was uneventful. Now, hopefully, what that means is now that he's taken a roster spot from someone like Goldobin, which you didn't hear on this list that I. I just read that he's going to really step it up and he's going to really become a thing in the Canuck land to be proud of and to be like, okay, you know what? This guy's really done a good job. Now let's trade him and get some good draft picks for him. <laughs> but there you go. We'll see. We'll see how Vanek works out for us. But yeah, I think he he literally took Goldobin's job. I think Goldobin would have filled in in the right wing in Vanek's spot if it wasn't for Vanek being there. So if I were Goldie, I'd be a little bitter about that. So aside from those forwards, we also have the defensemen Edler, Hutton, Delzado, and a new defenseman that we've just picked up in a trade. We sent. Padan off to, oh, where was it? The Penguins, I believe, for Pouliot. Derek Pouliot. Okay, apparently he's, Jim Benning feels he has potential as a puck-moving defenseman, and that's the type of defenseman that he wants to work with. He really feels that today's NHL is going in that mode where moving the puck and transition is going to be a huge deal, and Pouliot, he figures, is going to step right up and be that sort of player. And who am I to tell Jim he's wrong? It's his call. And if Pouliot is his guy, maybe Padan was a little bit too slow or a little bit not as rugged as he wanted him to be or whatever, and decided to change focus to that quick-moving, smaller defenseman instead. Okay, on right defense, Tanev, Stetcher, Goodbranson, and Biega get the positions. For me, Biega was a bit of a surprise there, but there you go. In goal, Markstrom and Nielsen. And that rounds up your... Rounds out your 23. <sighs> so, yeah, Besser and Vertanen. Those are your two young players that the Canucks are going to work on to try to make work. 
Gagne, Bramistrov, Vanek, Dorset, all these older players, these older forwards taking positions that perhaps younger players could be in, but there you go. Um, on the injury front, Gaunts and Castles, both on injury reserve. They should be gone for a good chunk of the season, unfortunately. Chapu and Megna go ahead and clear waivers, I think. Anyway, they're put on waivers, and since I haven't heard otherwise, I'm assuming they cleared them. On defense, because uh, Pouliot does not have a two-way contract, he had to play in the NHL. Weircock is being put on waivers tomorrow, tomorrow morning, which would be after this goes up, I suppose, so you'll know whether or not he cleared waivers, but he had to be announced before the final 23 was announced. So they had to let them know that he was going on waivers. The other guy that had, there was two other guys that had to be told things. One, it was Yolevi had to get from the London Knights right to play in Finland, which the London Knights gave him. So he's off to Finland. And they're happy about that because they say he'll be playing against men, with men. And that's and that's a big deal for them. So, okay, that's fine. Archibald looked like he might have almost made the team. So, yeah, okay, sorry. Vanek didn't take Goldobin's spot. I think at this point, Archibald would have got it. Goldobin is probably right behind Archibald on the depth list on the right side. So, so yeah, Archibald probably would have got the spot. He was the last cut, and so he went back to Utica. That said, Subin also got the... He got actually on the first cut... He was a first cut guy, so it doesn't look like Subin's going to get the look that so many people want him to get up here, and I wouldn't be surprised if he quietly asks for a trade to get him a better a better chance, because let's face it, if you can't get a chance in the Canucks system right now and get a good dozen games in the NHL, then you know what? They don't want you, and you might as well go somewhere else, because, you know, whatever's happening here. But then again, I mean, who's, who's Subin going to go in for? If he's going in for Biega, well, Biega's got a clear waivers and obviously the Canucks don't want to take that chance anyway I I think they should but anyway nevertheless there you go Subban is gonna be in Utica and then we'll see what happens I hope he I hope they still give him a chance but we'll see aside from that uh Holm had some good looks they're really high on Brisebois both of those guys are in Utica and other guys Molino, Molino, sorry, uh, Rodin, Darlene. Ah, yeah, so Darlene, again, was one of these guys, like Goldobin, you thought maybe stood a chance at getting some looks up here in a total rebuild situation. It doesn't look like he's likely to see a lot of action. Boucher is probably ahead of him on the depth chart, and Rodin even perhaps ahead of him as well. So we'll see. They've got Labate uh, on that left side as well that they could use if they wanted some, some grit or some size. So, yeah, you know what? It looks a lot like last year. And basically, I guess the idea, the Sedins have to go. When the Sedins retire, then we'll see what the Canucks have in terms of younger guys. This is the bridge year, I guess. So they got these guys in to give the Sedins one last year and then they'll clean house after this year? I don't know. But this is not this is not a Stanley Cup winning roster. This is not a, a roster that's going to challenge these great, strong, fast teams in the West. And this is not a roster that's going to develop these young players in the way they need to be developed. This is a middling roster that's basically out there to lose a lot of games in close games. They're going to lose a lot of one goal games and they're going to get blown out a bunch and it's not going to be necessarily a great, fun, exciting season. But not that it would be otherwise. You know, if they went total rebuild, it would be an ugly season then too, but at least you'd know that we're heading in the right direction. That both oars were in the water and maybe the boat was filling up. (laughs) 
but we were giving her. <laughs> and somebody was there with a bucket to go ahead and bail. It's it's kind of sad. It's disappointing that the Canucks had this opportunity to do the right thing. And they're going to pick a middle road. They're going to take half measures. And even if it's just for this one year, it's one year less that these young players, these young talented players get a chance to show their stuff for an extended period on the NHL stage when they know that they're going to play. When it's not, okay, you screw up and you're back in the minors or you screw up and you're back in the press box. Young players develop so much better when they're told, look, you got to live with your screw-ups. you got to figure out a way not to screw up again because you're going to be still out there. We're just, you're, you're, you're one of our guys, so you're going to keep going over those boards and you got to figure out a way to be better. And in those situations, you get a lot of opportunity for those young guys to figure out how to be better and they get there. But if you say, hey, you know, you screw up, you're gone, and they screw up and they know it, and they'll screw up because they're kids, they're young players, and then they'll think, oh, crap, okay, here, here it comes. Yeah, Travis Green benched me for the last half of the third period. Great. Yep, I'm seeing the press box next next game. Woohoo. That's not how you build players. That's not how you grow players. It's it's a rough, rough go. So we'll see. Again, please, Jim, Trevor, Travis, surprise me. Show me I'm wrong and show me that we're in for a real strong growth season this season and not this middling half measures soft rebuild. And we'll see. Regardless, I'm gonna be there and I'm gonna be cheering along and I'm gonna be hoping for the best. So What's up in our first week of the NHL season? The post-game show. This is the part of the program in which I go ahead and tell you what's up for the Canucks in the next week and give my predictions about how things might go. So, Game 1 is on Saturday, October 7th, between the Vancouver Canucks and the Edmonton Oilers. And the Canucks are 2-0 against Edmonton. No, they're not. They're... Wait, are they? 2-0? Anyway. They won their last game against Edmonton. They won their last game against Edmonton, and they looked okay. Edmonton did not. Edmonton looked like meh. They weren't really all that concerned. They will be concerned on October 7th, and they will give it their best, and Connor McDavid will play from whistle to whistle. He will play from minute zero to minute 60, and so will Dreisaitl, and so will the rest of the great young Edmonton Oilers. So do not expect a Canucks win unless the Canucks likewise match the Oilers skate for skate skate for skate grit for grit and that's just the thing with the Canucks right now you look at their team there's not a lot of team speed there the Oilers have a ton of it if I see something happening on game day on Saturday it is the Oilers jumping out ahead and just riding the tide I think it's going to finish up about four to one for the Oilers and they're just gonna they're gonna push hard all game the Canucks will probably see a little bit of action one thing I didn't talk about too much was the power play they said the power play would change and be amazing the power play hasn't changed much it's still surrounding the Sedins and the way the Sedins play so I don't expect the power to play to be any better than it was last year for the most part unless again they suddenly make amazing changes including getting the Sedins off of the first unit, they're done as power play specialists. So if that happens, then maybe a power play goal for the Canucks. If not, it'll be a middle-in goal at some point. Somebody will kick it in, maybe for Tannen, if, if we're lucky, or, uh, or Besser. All right, Tuesday, October 10th, Ottawa Senators come to town to play the Canucks. And, hey, we could beat Ottawa. It is the return of Alexander Burroughs. This is exciting. I think we have a chance of winning this game. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say the Canucks will win a close one, maybe 3-2. to two. 
more chance to get these things right later, I suppose. But for the time being, I'm going to say something. And then my man Lane comes to town October 12th. Is it in Vancouver? I think it's in Vancouver. Thursday, October 12th, Winnipeg and the Canucks. And I think Winnipeg is just going to build on the success that they had last year. And Line A will continue to dominate. I think it will be a big game for Line A. He'll score three goals, get the hat trick, and lead Winnipeg to a 5-3 to victory over the Vancouver Canucks that game. On Saturday, October 14th, so we'll go to the next Saturday. This will be the last game I'll talk about. I am hoping to focus on one of these games, so we'll see what happens. I'm thinking the Flames against the Canucks. Hey, the Canucks did beat the Flames two games to nothing. I'm going to give this in the preseason. I'm going to give this one to the Canucks as well. I think the Canucks will actually win this one, maybe even by a couple of goals. I'm thinking this is going to be another, I'm going to call it another 3-1 to one game. So those are my expectations for the week. The Canucks over the Flames. The Canucks possibly over this Ottawa Senators but they get beat in the first game against Edmonton and against Winnipeg in the third game. So they split the first four games and start off with a reasonable 500 record. And that's what I think is going to likely happen. But we will see as only three days and 19 hours go from the point of this recording, this Canucks Corner podcast, to game one against the Edmonton Oilers on Saturday. So there we go. That's what we got. We can still feel excited. Even though we're disappointed about the rebuild, we can still feel excited because it's game zero. Nobody knows what's going to happen. The Canucks could come out of the gate like wild horses, and Sam Gagne could be rejuvenated, and Vanek could come out like a just a bolt of lightning. Bermistrov could become that player that everyone expected him to be. Besser and Vertanen could just blossom as young goal scorers and the back end could just be solid and Delzato and Branson could lead the way and all of a sudden hey we can finally trade Chris Tanev (laughs) oh we'll see what happens Markstrom and Nielsen could be Jennings award winners it would just be an amazing year yep you can enjoy the beginning of the season because nobody has lost yet so let's enjoy that for the next couple days And let's look forward to the Canucks and the amazing year that's about to take place. We will see you guys soon. And what can we tell you? Keep an eye on my Twitter. Keep an eye on my Facebook. And what do I like to say at the end of every episode? Oh yes, that's right. Keep your stick on the ice.